welcome to this episode of Little Dude's Insect Academy, where we discover more about the extremely diverse world of entomology with your host, Brayden Coy. Hey guys, so for this episode, I'm going to actually play back a phone call that I had with one of the scientists that I met in Panama a while ago. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, make sure that you guys catch up with the last episodes in, in case you didn't watch those. So, uh, see you guys there. Okay, I'm so, I'm super excited that you could join us today for this, um, for this episode, and that we can talk about um, what's going on in your world, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna introduce you really quickly to the, uh, to the podcast. So this is uh, Dr. Owen, right? Yes, Dr. Owen. Dr. Owen McMillan, and we actually met in Panama in 2015 from my Make-A-Wish trip, and he was working um, for the for a organization called STRI. Is that correct? That's correct. The Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute, and they have those all over the world. Correct, Owen? Well, no. So the Smithsonian, as you know, is is the National Museum of the United States. The Smithsonian uh, Tropical Research Institute is really the only part of the Smithsonian that's outside the U.S. Um, and so, and we've been in Panama for a hundred years in, in our origins. Oh, wow. It really goes back to oh, when the U.S. dug the Panama Canal. So they, they, wow. they decided that they needed a bio inventory of, of what was here. Um, and so they surveyed, so they, you know, they got the Smithsonian involved and that sort of started what really is a sort of a hundred year partnership with the government of Panama, um, and the Institute, you probably didn't get a feel for it when you were here on your Make-A-Wish chip, but it's really a scientific community. So it's roughly 30 or so scientists like myself that live in Panama, um, probably about 100 research associates. These are scientists in, in academic institutions around the world and in North America, uh, in Latin America and Europe uh, and other places. And about a hundred, about a thousand or so scientific visitors each year. Most of them are young people, so people that are coming to, to Panama to learn how to do research. So they're interns. They tend to be college students or just recent graduates. A large group of graduate students that are interested in studying and gaining knowledge about how the tropics work, and then a lot of post postdoctoral researchers as well. So it's a pretty vibrant community with a really a singular focus on understanding tropical diversity. Well, well, that that's amazing. And from my understanding, you guys also have a outpost that a building that um, young interns can stay at right in Panama. Yeah, so we have, I mean, most of the interns are sort of around the community. So Stry is actually composed of about 11 research facilities. Um, you know, some that are sort of state of the science. So we have state of, state of the science facilities on DCI, which you might have visited when you were here. So that's, I did, yeah. That, that's that's Barro, Colorado, right? Barro, Colorado Island, right? Yeah, that was yeah. sort of the, the first outpost. Um, we've got a marine lab on both, marine labs on both the Pacific and Atlantic side. So we've got a marine lab uh, on the Pacific side of the Panama Canal uh, at Naus. Uh, we've got marine labs on the Atlantic and Cologne, um, as well as at the Atlantic in Bocas del Toro, which is on the border with Costa Rica. Uh, we've recently, 
you know, officially been granted stewardship of a small island, Coibita, in the um, Cueva National Park, which is in the Pacific, which is sort of this amazing marine environment. Um, we have a new laboratory in Gamboa, which probably wasn't open when you visited, but it's, it's, it's amazing, um, which is where I did Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't see that. I didn't see that institute, but we actually stayed in Gamboa. It's a right. little town for, for you listeners. It's a little town right out right outside of um, uh, the city, uh, Panama City, and that's actually where we stayed. There's a there's a big resort there that, um, it, yeah, it's just a little town outside. Uh, so yeah, so that so you guys now have a, a research institute there then. Or? Yeah, we have a nice a nice laboratory. Um, and which is really nice because a lot of my research uh, needs access to um, state of the science equipment. Uh, so we can, so it's nice. You can raise butterflies or you can walk into, to a tropical forest and then, you know, you can make observations. That's the basis of everything we do, but you can also um, sort of test those observations uh, in more controlled laboratory settings. Well, and at the time, so Owen doesn't only, he does not only just work, work um, as a stry, um, I guess, uh, what would you say your position is? So I, I have, I have an odd and a really sort of exciting position. So I, I'm a scientist and, you know, I, I, I'm hard pressed to call myself an entomologist, but, you know, for the sake of this podcast, yeah. I do a lot of kind of butterflies <laughs> that call me an entomologist. But I'm also in charge of Stry's um, scholarship community. So I'm in charge of all the visiting interns and fellows uh, that come through Stry each year. Um, so mm -hmm. essentially, that's, so I have sort of a dual scientific and administrative role here. Yeah, so only he, he doesn't only have that role, but he was also working. You were also working with the Heliconius butterflies. Is that correct when I was there? Yeah, and I still do. We still we do a lot of work in Heliconia. So this is a group that I, I started working on about twenty five years ago. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I, sort of, I came to insects sort of late in my, my academic career. So I did my PhD at University of Hawaii, um, and I was interested in coloration in tropical reef fishes, uh, butterfly mm -hmm. fishes. Um, so you know, I did a lot of work in understanding what the importance of color pattern was to the biology and reproductive ecology of, of, of brightly colored butterfly fishes. But as, as a model for really understanding the genetic basis of coloration and actually how these colors are used um, both as signals to other species as well, to, as, well as signals to um, individuals of, of their own species, they're just a really hard group to work on. Um, and about the same time that I was finishing up, I, I read some papers by uh, a scientist named Jim Mallet, uh, who's currently at Harvard, about Heliconius, and it just seemed like a wonderful system uh, because you have all this variation in color pattern, yet you can actually bring them into controlled settings. You can raise them. You can get really at an understanding of the, the genetic base of the color pattern differences as well as looking at how these color pattern differences are important, both as signals to potential predators. So these butterflies are, are distasteful and they use bright colors as a way to signal that they're distasteful, as well as the importance of color pattern in, in mate choice. Um, 
so that's what attracted me to the group. You know, just they just had remarkable potential to really address lots of fundamental questions from lots of different levels. Well, that's that that's really amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I've actually done a, a lot of research on the Heliconia since I since I went there because you had a whole set of butterfly houses that had a ton of them in there, and at the time. And I came home and I've been researching heliconias uh, all the time. And they're super interesting. Like uh, they're also called the long wing butterfly. That's their common name, but we use their scientific name because there's more variants of this butterfly. And I've actually learned that different, there's all different sizes and they all have different colors. They're actually the most, I believe they're the most variant um, species in not, not species um, family of butterfly in in the kingdom because uh, all, none of them are the same. They're all so different. None of them look the same. So they're super interesting. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, you know, I, I, I can remember looking at a, a picture of the distribution of two species that we study. One's called Heliconius errato and one's called Heliconius melpomene. Um, and these are distantly related. So um, they, you know, they probably evolved from one another 12 mm-hmm. to 15 million years ago. Yet they've sort of evolved sort of this identical patchwork of these different color pattern races so that in any given area that the two species look the same. So you've got sort of remarkable convergence between distinct related species. But as you move across forests across Central and South America, the pattern changes really radically. And, you know, the history of research on this group is, is fascinating. It really goes back to the early explorers and naturalists of the, of the 18th century. Um, you know, people that, you know, like, like Bates and, and Mueller that were working in Brazil, they would, they'd come across all these butterflies and they're trying to explain all this diversity. Um, you know, what, what's driving similarities and color patterns between, you know, butterflies that aren't closely related, trying to explain that. And, you know, their observations provided, I guess, you know, really some of the best examples of, of how evolution uh, can work via natural selection. Um, and especially during the early days of sort of, um, sort of Darwin's ideas as it, became, as it was pushed out to the, to the scientific um, community of the time, really important examples of, of, of how natural selection can push um, particular variants in particular directions. Um, so it's, it has a fascinating history. And yet we're, we're trying to answer a lot of the same questions that fa- fascinated uh, Bates uh, and Mueller, you know, 200 years ago. Um, and we're just using a lot of, a lot more modern tools to sort of crack, you know, the genetics of coloration, um, how you actually achieve mimicry between distinct related species. Yeah. And, uh, Heliconias are actually one of the few animals that actually change in variation depending on the geographic area. So if you if you find a species from Peru, it's going to be a different species than from in Panama or Costa Rica or anything. So they actually change depending on where they are, and that's one of the interesting things that I found about found out about them, and that they're actually one of the few animals that do that. Yeah, it, that geographic variation is actually probably a little bit more common than, than we'd like to imagine. I mean, we, we tend to think that species are all, all look the same, but you know, if you look at across a, a species that has a lot of, that covers a lot of ground, so it's found in lots of different places, you often see variation in sort of the way things look. 
Um, it's just so striking in Heliconius. I mean, it really is. I mean, if you put up a picture of one species and you put up a picture of another species, like I said, I mean, it still blows my mind today how, how, vari how that variation was created. And we're still trying to answer that. Yeah. Uh, oh, and may I ask where you went to school? Like, so, so I did my undergraduate degree at Duke University in North Carolina. And then I, I went off to the University of Hawaii to be a marine biologist um, and then had, you know, a bit of a change of plans, as often happens in, in a scientific career. So I did, I did a postdoc in London, but I spent um, most of the time in the forests of Ecuador where I, I sort of learned about these butterflies. Um, and then from there, I, I started my academic career at the University of Puerto Rico. I went to the genetics department at, at North Carolina State University and then found my way back down to the tropics about 10 years ago when I, when I came to the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute. Wow. And often I talk about on the podcast about how entomology is kind of the gateway to the sciences because the little kids see these insects and then they actually go into you know, marine biology or any other science sciences, but it can also go the other way. Like you are interested in marine biology and then you find your way to, to the insects because they kind of all point back to each other. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, you know, you know as a scientist, you're sort of interested in, in answering questions and you're interested in diversity generally. I mean, I think, and you know, one thing about insects is, you know, there's obviously a lot more insects than there are coral reef fishes, I mean, they're just incredibly diverse, and all that diversity you see around you. So you can go into your backyard, and you know you you can find you know hundreds of, of different species of insect. Um, and especially if you're in the tropics, it's sort of you know then you're, you're the game is changed by a couple of orders of magnitude. So they're they're a great introduction to sort of the diversity on life on Earth generally. And then from there, you know, as a scientist, I think you know you make decisions based on on you know what research questions might interest you. And, you know, in my case, what groups were, were best suited for answering those particular types of questions? Um, I mean, I still work on reef fish, right? And it's, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of the lessons that we learn about, say, how species of butterfly form can be applied to how species of coral reef fishes form. Um, so the questions, you know, at one level are general enough that any insights that we might make or discoveries we might make can be applied more broadly. And I think that, you know, that's, that's what we do as scientists. I mean, we, we work on things that, you know, where we, where we make discoveries that, you know, that have ramifications for um, sort of a larger group of organisms. Yeah. And, and we can also like learn a lot more about that because uh, like you mentioned earlier, the technology is really aiding in our discovery between, uh, new cameras coming out to the new drones that fly in the air that get amazing photos and video and can monitor the forest and stuff like that. And also even I've seen these DNA sequencing uh, machines that just fit, fit in your backpack, which is just crazy. And then from many tiny little mic uh, microscopes, the technology is really aiding in our discovery. So there's still, there's still more stuff to discover but it's a lot easier now that we have that. Yeah, no, I mean, you're exactly right. I mean, you know, just if you look at, you know, so I've been, you know, I've, you know I'm now sort of mid to late career, sad to say, but, um, 
and, and the changes have been extraordinary. I mean, you talked about DNA sequencing. In fact, you can fit into your pocket, right? And you can go to the jungle now and get data out in real time with some of these third generation technologies, which, you know, to me opens up all the diversity in nature, right? So we're, we're, no, we're no longer limited to a handful of species. We can really sort of, I think, leverage uh, and work on, um, on species across the, the tree of life. And I think from that type of research, you get lots, you make a lot more richer discoveries um, than you would just looking at a handful of species. And, you know, I, and I think that's fascinating. The, the technologies sort of allow, allow you to do that. They allow you to discover things. And the other technology that we've been using, uh, again, for discovery is, is um, this genome editing technology called CRISPR-Cas9. And so what that means is we can make, you make a discovery based on an observation, DNA sequence variants, and then test, test a prediction based on that discovery by going in there and, and, in our case, sort of knocking out a gene that might be involved in wing coloring and see how it affects pattern change. Um, and, and that tells us a lot about, you know, how these genes are interacting with other genes to generate variation. Um, and it's, you know, it's an amazing time to be a biologist. Mm -hmm. So you're lucky to be young because, you know, you, the questions that you can, you know, ask and begin to answer are completely different than the ones that were open to me when I was your age. Yeah. Wow. That, that. Yeah, that's super true. The technology is truly evolving. And it was interesting that you mentioned the CRISPR technology. Is that the same one I'm thinking of? Yeah, probably. The... It's, it's, it's a genome editing technology. So it's, it's actually, it's reasonably new. It's got a, a lot of press recently, both good and bad. I mean, so what it's, it's essentially, um, it was, it's a, an innate re immune response that bacteria use to fight invading um, viruses, bacteriophages. And, you know, people, you know, took them a long time to figure it out. I mean, it's sort of a really good example of how sort of basic science, basic curiosity-driven science sort of drives discoveries. I mean, a bunch of labs were looking at these, you know, at these, these bits of DNA and noticing that it was similar, you know, that it was highly conserved, which suggested that it, it played a role. And then it was, you know, some of the repeated elements were similar to, um, bacterial viruses and then the light bulb started going off and you know they started imagining how it might work to protect a, a, a bacteria from an invading virus and then you know someone decided well maybe we can exploit this and use it to sort of edit DNA and its power comes because it's very very precise so you know in, instead of you know basically taking a shotgun to the, the genetic sequence of an organism you can go in and precisely um, target where you're going to change. Um, and that's just been amazing. Um, so it, you know, for, for medicine, um, and human health, it, you know, it offers great potential. Um, obviously there's lots of ethical issues that need to be solved. I mean, it is a powerful technology and, you know, and we need to be smart about how we use it. But, you know, from my point of view as a bi biologist interested in variation, what it, that technology allows you to do is just make discoveries. It allows you to figure out how to things how things work. Uh, it's extraordinary like that. Yeah, and uh, not only is the CRISPR technology aiding in uh, learning about genes and how they work and 
discovering new things about biology. But also, I haven't talked about it much on the podcast, but the disease I have um, that allowed me to go to Panama for my make-a-wish, it's called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. And it's actually, um, I'm excited about the, the CRISPR because it um, uh, muscular dystrophy is actually a, um, a, it's in your genes. So I'm actually missing a letter in my gene sequence. Um, and so the CRISPR technology would be able to either repair that or replace it or do stuff like that. And I'm thinking in the next 10 years, Duchenne might not even be a thing anymore because they'll edit it either in the embryo or right after they're born. And so I'm super excited about that because not only does it have science um, benefits, but also health benefits, even for me. So that's super exciting that there's, that there's a new, a new hope for that because nothing has really come out um, that has been hopeful uh, for us because it's all been uh, prescription drugs and those aren't a cure and CRISPR could be a cure. So. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, it, it holds such extraordinary promise, um, you know, for all sorts of inherited diseases that have a, genet- a simple genetic basis. Uh, so there, there are possibilities in the future for curing, um, for, for curing these diseases, as you mentioned. So yes, that, and, and absolutely. I mean, that's, that's extraordinary. And there's a lot of really smart scientists working on that right now. So, um, you know, so hopefully something, you know, in the next few years will, will come out of that, uh, out of that research. And I expect it will. Yeah. So um, we've been talking for about uh, 20 minutes and I think we're going to start wrapping it up here, but I would just like to ask you, I'm super glad that you could join us today. This is super cool that we got to catch up and all that. But um, I was just wondering, where can my listeners either find you on social media or Stry, or where can they learn more? Maybe maybe they can donate to Stry. Is that a thing? Or yeah, so so we have Stry has a website, um, and the, actually Heliconius Insectaries now has a new website that we that we we are launching um, in the next month, and we have. Uh, an Instagram account as well. So we're, we're sort of easy to find. I mean, you can find me easily if you Google Macmillan, M-C-M-I-L-L-A-N, Stry, S-T-R-I, um, I pop up. And then and that will show you sort of links to to my webpage um, and as well as link to, to the Smithsonian, as, as well as link to the Smithsonian Tropical Research Institute and all the social media that's surrounding it. Um, so... You know, the nice thing about being at Smithsonian is that it's, it's fairly well um, connected in terms of you know, outlets um, to the public, um, which is great. Well, thank you so much for, for joining us, Owen. This was super cool. Um, I'll talk to you later, and maybe you can come back later for a future episode, maybe in a few months. Uh, it was a, a big pleasure having you. We really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. And, and like I said, you have an invitation to come back down here anytime. Just let me know. We, we, yeah. we, have, we have a lot more butterflies than we had when you were here um, four or five years ago. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Um, I'm thinking maybe in the next couple of years, I might head back down there. That would be super cool. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this and uh, talk to you later, Owen. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
If you enjoyed this episode of Little Dude's Insect Academy, then consider subscribing to my channel and sharing this episode with one of your friends. You can even support me financially. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep on bugging.